Welcome to our weekly three-minute therapy podcast. I'm Dr. Michael Edelstein, clinical psychologist and author, and I'm here with my partner, Mick Berry. We practice REBT, Rational Emotive Behavior Therapy, which was devised by the brilliant Albert Ellis, who started a revolution in psychotherapy with Rational Emotive Behavior Therapy, which says that our emotions don't come from situations themselves, but rather come from our thinking about situations, particularly thinking in terms of demands. Must, should, supposed tos, have tos, demands we put on ourselves, I must do well and get approval, demands we put on others, you must treat me well, and demands we put on the conditions of our lives. My life must be fair, easy, and hassle-free. So we teach people to question, challenge, and uproot their demands and reinforce their underlying preferences, which leads to motivation, incentive, and working toward one's goals. Uh, Mick is joining us, my co-author on Stage Fright about overcoming performance anxiety. Mick, did you want to add anything else else about yourself? No, just I've been practicing RIBT since 1986. Used to have a very big problem with depression and it helped me overcome that. Great, great. And uh, we're honored today to have a special guest, Dr. Pam Popper, who does a variety of things. But uh, one of the things uh, Dr. Popper is a specialist on is health anxiety. So, uh, Pam, how do you uh, treat health anxiety? Well, I'm not a specialist on health anxiety. I'm I'm an observer of it, and um, and where it's very easy to understand where it came from. The health profession benefits from people thinking there's something wrong with them all the time, (laughs) and uh, (laughs) that's that's how you make money. Yeah, that's how you make money, right? And uh, one of the things that happened, uh, many things that happened a few years ago, a few decades ago was the trend toward people visiting doctors when they're perfectly healthy to have increasing number of things done to them looking for disease. And what you really find is risk factors sometimes. If you look hard enough in an old enough body, I'm 66, I'm sure there's something someplace in my body you can find to talk about if you look really hard for it. But but we treat the risk factors as if it's the disease. I call it the medical mills. So now you have a person who's convinced their body's fragile, and subject to breaking down at any time. You have all these, uh, we used to see blood tests when I first started in this business, three pages, now they're 35 pages. And the more things you look at, the more you see these little flags that are meaningless clinically, but they make people nervous. So you get people very nervous about their health. And I and I literally have this, I'm not exaggerating when I say this, people will say, you know, I seem to get headaches more often, maybe I have a brain tumor. And um, I bumped my elbow and it's hurting and it hasn't, it's a week later and it's not you know, it's not uh, any less painful and maybe there's something terribly wrong with my bones. And, um, you know, it, look at what they were able to do with this COVID thing. People were running around like like lunatics about we're going to get the flu. And, and and just to think about this, all right, it was the flu and the data. Actually, I don't know if you realize this, but both in the United States and in uh, the UK, the average death from COVID was two years older than the average lifespan. So COVID helped people live longer is what the data was. <laughs> so, 
So, uh, so, but nonetheless, we had people saying, what am I going to do if I get the flu? People were calling me saying, I have a sore throat. What should I do? And I tell them I'm going to reach deep down through all the archives of all the knowledge I've gathered. And I'm going to suggest hot tea and rest. I know that's really radical stuff. And you probably <laughs> never would have thought of it on your own. But um, and seriously, if somebody had been hysterical about the potential for getting the flow in 2018, we would have said, let's come over here and sit down. Do you need me to call somebody for you? Maybe it's not good for you to drive home on your own, you know. But mm-hmm. now this type of hysteria that the medical profession has taught people to have it. So I think the way you deal with it is, first of all, to help people understand what's happened to them. And, and they don't even realize it sometimes. And, and, and so they'll stop this incessant visiting with doctors all the time. And the second thing is you have to help people understand how incredibly strong your body is, right? And um, and I give people specific examples. There's one in a book called um, The Magic Feather Effect in which this guy who was a, para- para- a quadriplegic after an automobile accident quit going to therapy because he said all they wanted to do was teach me how to be disabled and I wanted to learn how to walk again. So he called a, a, a TCM place in Brooklyn where he used to take Tai Chi lessons and they told him to get an anatomy book and to sit and think, once he understood like where the blockages were and everything, he said, all people who are quadriplegic have sensations. He said, start noting those sensations and willing yourself to reroute around the blockages. And the guy got up and walked, he drives a car, he's teaching Tai Chi in Arizona right now, right? So you show people how much the body is powerful and can heal and essentially get them out of this medical mill, constant focus on I'm sick, I'm sick, I'm sick, I'm going to get sick, something's wrong, something's wrong. And they start to believe I'm healthy. You know, I'm 66. I haven't seen a doctor since 1994. And if something were really wrong, I'd go. But why would you take a healthy body to a doctor and say, see if you can find something wrong? And my insurance company will pay you to fix it if you do. Well, I'm sure they'll find something wrong. But is that good for me? Right. So that's my view on it uh great ideas great ideas now uh mick well i just wanted to say pam that all makes uh perfect sense to me and uh, i'm very impressed thank you well and the the hard thing is it's this is very easy to understand and the people who i'm talking to about it understand it but we're talking about getting rid of sometimes decades of brainwashing about how necessary it is to hang out with doctors and that's the key to health Another thing that I point people to is these stories of centenarians. I love them, right? The first thing is you don't see sick, medicated, overweight centenarians, right? So they're strong. One one story I just love, this guy lived on his 106th birthday. He dove into the lake in a bathing suit from his son's boat. On his 102nd birthday, he took up horseback riding lessons, right? And so if I showed you a picture of this guy and said, how old do you think he is? You'd say, yeah, I don't know, maybe mid 70s. He's 106, right? So, so the first thing is, how do these people live that long? They build strong bodies. They eat well. They exercise. They get out in the sun. They live a great life, right? So focus on that, right? Instead of I got to go to the doctor. My bone, my elbow hurts. My head hurts. I got a zit right here. I better go see somebody about it. It might be cancer. It might be skin cancer, right? So. So you want it, so it takes a while to really shift that thinking. But I tell people, go look at stories of centenarians online and none of them. I've never seen a story where they say, thank God for all those doctors and surgeries and medications or I wouldn't have lived that long. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, you reminded me of a great uncle, my grandmother's brother, who lived at, I think, be 103. And on his 100th birthday, people were, of course, asking him for advice. 
He said, well, luck's a big factor, but stay away from doctors. Uh-huh. Yeah. He was, a, he was a veterinarian. Yeah. Yeah. And they're good for what they're good for. I mean, if I had a headache and it didn't go away in two weeks, I think I'd want to know what was going on. But but that's not why most people are visiting doctors. And uh, the other thing that they need to realize, too, is the, the <coughs> system is designed to diagnose more and more people with sickness because that's where the money is. So the diagnostic parameters changed for how we define sickness. Right. So it used to be if your fasting glucose levels were 140, you got a little stern lecture from your doctor. Now, listen, this is going the wrong direction. By the time you come in here next time, I want to see you take off 20 pounds and start eating a little bit differently. People would do that. Right. Now it went down to 126. That was the benchmark. And that was the benchmark for medicating. So we had 1.6 million people that day. And the drug companies set these criteria who now are diabetic, right? Then they lowered it to 100, now 80 to 100. And by the time they got to 80 to 100, almost nobody falls within that range, particularly when they're my age. There's no, con there's no difference in the age stratification anymore on diagnostics. And so everybody's diabetic now. I mean, if you make that, if you make Trulicity at $72,000 a year, it's a bonanza, right? But if you're the person paying for it, the co-pays on it, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Well, Pam, you just convinced me not to see my doctor. So I'm canceling my appointment. <laughs> but well, I don't, I, I'm I don't go. You don't, you don't take your fun. You, you don't take a six month old car to the car shop and say, see if you can want to replace some parts in there. I mean, I'm sure they'll find something that they could do better. Right. But that's just not very smart. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm a psychologist. So from a psychological point of view, the one thing that uh, stood out was you, uh, you had mentioned people thinking, uh, there's something wrong all the time because of doctors. And uh, this that doesn't square with me from a psychological point of view, because as we were saying in our introduction, it's never situations themselves that causes their uh, health anxiety. So even if they're thinking there's something wrong with them all the time, then they're not gonna make themselves anxious about it, worried about it, they'll be concerned, if they uh, don't have musts and shoulds, I must have a guarantee there's nothing wrong with me. I must be sure I'm okay. It would be awful if I got sick and I must not. Those kinds of um, musty thinking is really what leads to the anxiety, uh, the emotional part of that, not uh, thinking there's something wrong with you. Would you agree with that? Well, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what, what else to call it, but health anxiety when people are concerned about nothing. There's yeah. nothing wrong with you. All right. And 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 what's what has been called wrong with you was made up by somebody and you didn't know enough to not believe it. And so this goes to another thing. I think health literacy is the only way we change the healthcare system in this country. In other words, when people buy things like houses and cars, they do it entirely differently than the way that they engage with the healthcare profession, right? So nobody stands in the driveway and says, I'm so stupid about real estate, you're just gonna have to tell me where to live, all right? You give me the address, I'll have my stuff sent there because it's just beyond me. It's, I mean, hundreds of thousands of dollars for a house, you just tell me what to do. But that's what people are doing when they go see a doctor. They think that this is so complicated that they can't possibly understand it. So this makes them very vulnerable. Yeah. And so I agree with you that, that we have situations in which the person has irrational thinking. What I'm saying is that the person develops the irrational thinking because they're programmed to do it. 
I'm telling you, there's a contributing factor here. And, right. and the only way that you fix this is to help the person understand how they were very carefully. I mean, the, the idea that that the medical profession, the government, all kinds of, I mean, that's what advertising is all about. We're going to convince you of something. And in many cases, it's not true, right? And that's what's been done here. And so the way out of it is, is for people to become literate about health, to understand what risk factors really are, to read and understand medical literature so that they can make good decisions and they can say to their doctor, no, I'm not going to have a DEXA scan. It diagnoses aging and I'm smart enough to know that I'm aging. Okay, so you're not going to scare the heck out of me about my bones by having me do this stupid test, right? So so, so it really, the, the, there is an aspect of this that has been done to them. And if we don't recognize that, it's not fixable because they will allow it to be done to them some more. Yeah, definitely. Mick? Yeah, I think what Pam's saying, Michael, is that the manifestation of this, of people being hypervigilant about their health is coming from an underlying demand that I must have a perfect knowledge of what's going on and I must not take any risks whatsoever with my health care. I think that what Pam is presenting, it, it, to me, it implies that there's this underlying demand that I must have certainty that I'm okay. What yep, do you, th yep. you think, Pam? I, I do, but but it's been there's there's a very well done campaign that created that. In oh, other yeah, words, but, you know, sure. yeah. So so a good example is when when I was a kid, and I, I remember you know not when I was a little, <coughs> kid, but by the time I was in grade school, I do have you know you look at pictures, just memories start to come back, right? So I have a sister who's four years younger than me, and uh, we we very rarely went to the doctor. All right, and if my mother called the doctor. So I'm going to bring the girls over this afternoon. He would have said, for what? Are they sick? No, I just want to have you look at them, right? He would have said, well, I don't understand that. That would have been the interchange, really, at that time. And even when sometimes we were sick, a lot of times the advice was keep her home from school. If she doesn't get better in a couple of days, call me. Well, that's not the way it works right now. You start six weeks after a baby is born, you're in a pediatrician's office with that baby for a well baby check, which is really a vaccination program, right? That's what the kid's there for. And, and we're teaching kids at birth to think, hanging out with doctors every three months is what you do. They do it all through their childhood, right? And then they grow up and they become great consumers of this medical checkup system that doesn't result in better. Our, our healthcare went down the tubes. I mean, anybody that looks at what's going on right now and says that this has all been a smashing success. We're the sickest people in the world. We have the sickest kids in the world, right? So, And the most doctors in the world, Mick. Yeah, yeah. And here we are. It's it, The healthcare costs are through the roof. It's not a money issue because we outspend everybody. And we think everybody should have access. Healthcare is a right. So the very few people don't have access to healthcare, even if yeah, it is the yeah. ER and urgent care. Yeah. And if the, the results are disastrous. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's not much money in teaching people to eat right. Yes, Mick? Yeah. Well, uh, two things. One thing, Michael, I think you were emphasizing that only we can disturb ourselves. But I think what Pam is saying is, yeah, we have to believe it, but people can teach us things that we're, if we pay attention and learn from them, then we will disturb ourselves. So only we can disturb ourselves, but people can teach us things that we will disturb ourselves about if we believe them and learn the things that they're teaching them. Yeah, now, I don't think it's either or. I think it's no. 
both and. Right, right. We can, yeah, we can come up with being hypochondriacs on our own, but we can also be encouraged to be hypochondriacs by people that want to promote the medical industry. But this is also reminding me, Michael, of you and I have talked about this, the term bipolar in the mental health field. 20 years ago, people were referred to as manic depressives. Now the buzzword has been for 10 years or more bipolar. And I know so many people who tell me they're bipolar, whereas you and I would simply say, no, they're just a highly fallible human being. They're no different than anybody else. Yeah, who are upsetting themselves more than a lot of humans. Okay, we don't have much more time. Pam, did you want to have a last word and tell our viewers how they could reach you? Yeah, my email address is pampopper at msn.com, my, well, my uh, website, wellnessforumhealth.com. And uh, what I what I try to, what I guess I want people to remember from all of this is that you have a, a very strong, healthy body. If you don't, you can get one at, at almost any age. You can, you know, there's very few situations that can't be turned around in a different direction, but you need to learn to have <laughs> confidence in your body. And to and to think about being healthy every day. I mean, if I thought about how sick I was every day, I'd probably make myself sick, but I don't, you know. So we have a lot more power over ourselves and our health than most people imagine. And that's that should be reassuring to people instead of thinking it's all out of their control. Yeah. And I'm a big advocate of the diet that you recommend, Pam, whole food plant-based diet. And if you want to learn more about that, go to Pam's website. And what is that? Wellness forumhealth.com. Hey, Mick, did you want to get in a last word? One last thing. My sister is a podiatrist, and she has told me that about 95% of what she knows has come from learning from patients and mm -hmm. not what she learned in podiatry school. It was yep. what her patients taught her about what they were going through. Yep. And, uh, and that's, a, that's inspiring to patients too. I, I've told many people over the years, you may be the first person your doctor's ever seen get well. And that may change the trajectory of that person's practice. And that's happened many times, you know? And, and I'll, I'll say one more thing. Yeah, I beat up the medical profession a lot, but I will say this, and I tell my clients this, there are bad doctors out there who are dismissive and they're disease mongering and all that kind of stuff. But you know what? They're bad patients too. And if you show up in a doctor's office and say, fix me, I take no responsibility. Well, you're going to get what you get, right? And you don't transact other things that way in other areas of your life. So when patients start to take responsibility, we actually have found that most doctors open up and they become pretty easy to deal with. It's a, it's a, it's a double-edged sword. And I think that um, people taking more responsibility for their health will make the situation better. Everybody's got to get better in this game or we can't have a better healthcare system. It's got to get better on both sides. So I'm for empowered patients and I'm also for patients pay taking responsibility. Very good, very good. Okay, well, thank you again, Dr. Pamela Popper for joining us. Uh, that was a very enlightening uh, interview. And thanks Mick Berry for, for, for joining us. And thank you, Chris Rossini, our technical engineer who provides the glue to keep all of this together. So uh, watch uh, Three Minute Therapy podcast weekly to stay on the rational side of life.